You're a model, whether you want to be or not, for your kids, for your employees, for the people on the other side. You're a model for the judge. And people are saying, you're good at this. All those positive affirmations and accolades. But just beneath the surface is somebody who's running away from things. And coming to the realization, I'm lying to myself as much as I'm lying to everybody else. And asking myself then, is this going to be always how it is? And coming to the realization that it doesn't have to be, but that it's not going to be easy. That day, I made a commitment to myself to start the journey, to be honest. Yeah, and I've seen big, burly truck drivers with tattoos all over themselves that say, F you, start to cry. No, I almost started crying. I didn't do anything. <laughs> you see the difference. It's I all... feel the difference. I don't just see it. I actually feel the difference. That's the point. People come in and they go, I need more. I want more money. I want more clients. I want more cases. Right. Well, what you're really saying to the world is I do not have enough. And the reality is if you could flip that in whatever way you need to for yourself to where you're putting out in the world, I'm doing great. And um, I have just the right number of clients. I have just the right amount of money. I have enough of all of this stuff. In law school, attorneys are taught to challenge everything, tear things apart, break them down. But the qualities that make lawyers great can be some of the worst for running a business. At every stage of growth, running a business and practicing law can feel overwhelming. And what happens when you try to add life and family to the mix? It can feel nearly impossible. You don't have to do this alone. I'm Maria Monroy, co-founder and president of LawRank, a leading SEO agency for ambitious law firms. Each week we hear from industry leaders on what it really takes to run a law firm, from marketing to manifestation. Because success lies in the balance of life and law, we're here to help you tip the scales. Joe Freed is the name in truck accidents. He niched into the space before niching was a thing. Over the past 18 years, his firm has won cases across 43 states. He pioneered best practices in truck accident investigation and litigation, and co-founded the Academy of Truck Accident Attorneys, attended by lawyers nationwide. But today, we're not talking about how he built his firm or what makes his firm so successful. Today, we talk about what makes Joe, Joe. And let me tell you, it's fascinating. I am super excited about today's episode because it's a really special episode for me. I thought about having Joe come on even before I started the podcast and even consulted with him about starting this podcast and he encouraged me to do it. So today we talk about honesty, vulnerability, and body language. And he explains how changing your mood can sway everyone else around you, even the jury. I'm seriously not doing this justice. I can't wait for you to hear what he has to say. So let's dive in. It has always been important to be a subject matter expert in, in addition to hopefully being a good lawyer. I think it makes you a better lawyer the more in touch you are with the subject matter that you're really working with, whether it's truck crashes or traumatic brain injuries or medical malpractice, whatever it is, to be able to really 
know the subject matter makes you a better advocate. How many times in 2022 have you given a presentation? Um, I think somewhere around a hundred times. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. It's, um, it's a psychological problem for me. I'm <laughs> trying to figure out what drives me to do that. And honestly, I mean, I'm joking about it, but I'm trying to figure out what drives me to do that. What do you think drives you to do that? I think a lot of it has to do with it feeds my ego. You know, I like to think that I'm doing good in the world, and I think I am. I don't think those things are mutually exclusive because I get wonderful messages from people literally every week saying, you know, you helped you helped get this done or you helped, you're partially responsible for this, or you made me look at this differently or things along those lines. And I love getting those messages. I guess I need them. <laughs> I don't like admitting that, but... Um, so my, my focus in 2023 in part is examining this very question that you just raised. And that's, you know, am I doing this for the right reasons? The whole idea of an ego gets such a bad reputation, but I think it can be a good thing. I don't think I personally just cannot believe that ego is just like a purely a bad thing because it can drive us to do amazing things like you're doing. I totally agree with you. The ego has this job to push you and to um, protect you and to make you as good as you can be and to protect you from other people who, and situations that belittle you and, you know, dot, dot, dot. The, the problem is that I think once you identify fully with the ego and you stop realizing that the ego is not who you are, that becomes a problem. And I think in my world, I have forgotten that or I've, I've fallen into that trap. Um, it's kind of like the same trap, and I'm sure you see it, I mean, in your world with people building brands where they they forget that they're really not their brand. And um, I think that ends up causing issues. No, I agree. I mean, I even see it with me. Like, I feel like Laurink is somewhat me. Like, it's like part of my identity. And I think that's the problem. You and I have talked about this before, when it becomes like your worth is attached to what you do for a living, right? Whatever that may be. I, I, I'm like, these are, you're hitting on all of my psychological issues right now. I mean, so thank you for that. I should <laughs> pay welcome. you, pay you for a therapy session when we're done. I'll send you a bill. <laughs> but you know, the, the reality is I think you're spot on. I mean, for, for me, I wonder who Joe Freed is if he's not that guy who gets on stage a hundred times a year, if he's not that guy who is constantly trying to, you know, push, push, push and, I mean, I know it has to do with where I get my sense of value from. And all of these things serve you, right? Like you were saying, ego is not inherently bad. It's just too much of something can become bad, right? And so I think that it serves you. It helps you become successful. But then at some point, if you're living an examined life and you're looking at things with intention, then it's it's worth looking at it and saying, is it still serving you? So at the stage that I'm at in my career now, is it serving me? And, um, you know, those are things I need to examine. I mean, I can only speak from my experiences. I think the go, go, go is an avoidance. Like, I think we're avoiding something. Damn it. <laughs> Did you just say that? It's so true in my, in my world. You know, look, I, I'm, um, you know, I'm the son of an alcoholic and addict, and I'm the father of an alcoholic and addict. And so I know what that makes me. Um, and, you know, I chose a more socially acceptable addiction in the form of work, but I have used work 
and the need to be busy. And, you know, I got important shit to do. You, you know, do. I got important stuff to do. And it makes so, you feel good. And, well, what it makes me feel is numb to everything else because I can just, I, it's my man cave. I can go to work. And if I'm at work and I'm pouring in and I'm telling myself I am helping other people and my life is, this is altruistic and all good. But at the end of the day, I recognize and increasingly I am recognizing how much I have used that in my life to avoid, just like an addict uses to avoid. I use that to avoid everything that's been hard in my life, every challenge in my own life, every challenge even in my business life, every challenge in, in the personal world. Hey, I got to go to work. And then I can go there and I can get lost there, just like somebody who pops a pill or, or whatever. They get lost for a little while. And while that high is happening, I don't have to worry about anything else. And I'm okay in that world. And people are saying, you're good at this. All those positive affirmations and accolades. But just beneath the surface is somebody who's running away from things. And I don't like admitting that out loud, but I also feel like it's important to, just like it's important for an addict to, in other circumstances, to admit their addiction. It's kind of like step one. So that's, you know, I keep telling you, we're, you know, we're sitting here, I'm in this contemplative mode as I get in at the end of most years and thinking, what's the next year? And part of that is looking back and saying, damn, man, I thought I, I, thought I was going to work on that last year. And I realized that it's not a destination. It really is a journey. You know, that's kind of a cliche. But anyway, that's where I am. I'm looking at these things and saying, how can I look at them? and grow from them, from them in 2023. I think it's awesome that you are so honest about this because I feel like in the legal space, maybe it's not the norm to be vulnerable and to talk about these things, right? And you have always, I mean, since I've followed you in the past few years, you, you have talked about being honest. Yeah, I've also, I've also owned the fact that that was not me originally. That was not my natural tendency. My natural... Natural Joe, young lawyer Joe, and before that, was not that guy. It has been very much a work in progress, and it still is. I mean, my tendencies from before, and I know where it comes from, and we're talking a lot about psychology here, but, you know, for me, I know that because of how I felt about myself in, in situations and fears that I had for myself, you know, those things, yeah, those things aren't necessarily bad either. They drive you. Right, they push you. They're why I'm where I am. But my natural place was to lie. I was not honest. I remember the day. I remember exactly where I was when I sat all by myself near a river in the middle of Wyoming, looking at the water running by and, and looking at the way it moved around the rocks in there, in the stream as it was coming, and you know, coming to the realization that I'm just a freaking liar. And I'm lying to myself as much as I'm lying to everybody else and asking myself then, is this the way it ends? Is this going to be always how it is? And coming to the realization that it doesn't have to be, but that it's not going to be easy. And that, that day I made a commitment to myself to start the journey, to be honest. And is this part of the reason why when I ask you a question, you're so open? That's part of it. And what I have learned along the way, and 
it's easier once you start to practice vulnerability, which really is a practice. Um, what has to happen is you, you have to get some experiences under your belt to realize that the fear is if I'm vulnerable, I will be rejected, right? The fear is if you know the real me, you would never want to be my friend. You would reject me, push me away, talk bad about me, you know, and think less of me in whatever way that fear materializes. And I know that's not just Joe. I, th I know that that's everybody has that. Correct. But what happens is, and I know you, you know, you've, you practice being vulnerable. Yes. You practice being open. And my, my bet is you have the same experiences that I do because it's, it's, I think it's universally true. When you're vulnerable, it's like crazy, but it's not. People don't reject you. People no, actually like come up better. and they embrace you. Yeah. And they trust you more. They do. Why are they trusting you? Because it takes a trustworthy person. If, if you're not going to lie about that, if you're not going to cover up that, then why would you cover up something in a lawsuit, you know, or something like that? To answer your question of, is this why? That day was a beginning point for me. That How I'm, long ago was that? That was um, sometime around 2010. I'd have to think about it and look at some things to figure out exactly. It's been over a decade. Yeah. Wow. Probably about 2007 that 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 I was on that bridge. Wow. So 15, 16 years. Yeah. Because the reason I know is because 2010, a frame of reference, my dad died in 2010 and it was very much already going on by then. I was in the middle of the what I would call the turmoil of realizing how much it was true in my life that I had not been honest about things. And ever since you decided to work on being honest, how did it, it impact you as a trial lawyer? The line between Joe trial lawyer and Joe something else, it's blurred for me. I'm not sure who I am without those monikers. But what happened was I started to realize that if this is true for me, then it also would be true for my cases and my clients, right? So so now the way that change things is now I look for every everything that's a neg quote a negative, and I put it in quotes because we're the ones who assign the label, right? Every single thing that's a negative in the case is an opportunity. And if it's an opportunity to look at the case differently, to figure out why, how to work with that. And if nothing else, if nothing else, if you get to the very end of all the, the little mental games I play to make something bad into something good, if I get all the way to the end of that and I haven't figured out a way to turn it into something, quote, good, then it's still an opportunity because it's an opportunity for me to be vulnerable. It's an opportunity for me to get up and say, let me tell you about this problem and be very open about the problem. So, it's like if you if you think about it with the jury, with the jury, yeah, or with the defense lawyer, or with the decision maker on. So imagine going into a mediation, and instead of what you think of, where the lawyer comes in and they're pounding their chest and they got their presentation and everything is, they're just presenting the best spin on the case that they possibly can. They're speaking to an audience usually of people who already are familiar with the case. They know where the problems are. But so instead of that polished lawyer getting up there and doing that, the, the lawyer gets up and says, look, I want to start off by just owning, here's the problems with my case. And despite these problems, I think I can still win. And this is why I think I should. It's a very different presentation, right? Than pound your chest and, and I'm kicking your butt, you know, and, and 
in my experience, the other side, whatever that means, they're much more worried about you if you can get up and you can fully and completely own it. The reality is for me, this ability to look at everything honestly, and I, as I've said, I, yeah, I'm still a work in progress. I it's have always, blind spots. It's right? always a work in progress. That's life. I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I, my, my eyes have been open to things even recently about, you know, just we all have blind spots, you know, and, and if you're fortunate to have people in your life who are, who are honest with you and not just yes people, and they'll really have the courage to come and say, hey, is this a blind spot for you um, in whatever way that comes out? That's a real fortunate thing, even though it can be painful sometimes, you know, to, to hear. What's that blind spot? I go through coaches. So I've had a number of them over the years because I'm kind of a believer in the when the student is ready, the master appears kind of a thing. And so it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning here. What my coach asked me to be is, he said, when you, I want you to start taking notice of how many times you do things, say things, present yourself in a way that what you're really trying to do is get approval from other people, external approval. And so I've been focused on that pretty intensely for the last week because that's been my assignment for the, from the coach. And so I'm realizing all these times when I've, I've thrown something in or name dropped or, you know, da, 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 whatever, the lots of, lots of examples. And I realize, you know, why, why did I do that? Why do I, why do I feel like I need to drop a name? You know, I mean, why do I need to do that? And I'm, it's because I'm still seeking approval of other people. And anyway, that's where I am in my coaching. But I really think that's like most humans. I do. I, I agree, but I don't want to be most humans. And I know you well, don't either. And I think people, <laughs> people who are listening to this. So, you know, it's about the idea of, look, most humans just exist. There's no intentionality to their life. They're, they're, no awareness. I agree. You know, so I don't want to be that person and I know you don't want to. And I, my bet is the people who are attracted to this podcast are not people who are just wanting to live blindly and, you know, wake up automatron through their day and go to sleep at night and rinse, rinse and repeat. You know, that's, we're trying to do it in an examined way, in an intentional way. Yes. Now, how do people respond to all this? Like other lawyers, when you're teaching things, like, are they receptive to it? Are they in shock? Like, what is the feedback that you get? Because again, I just don't think that this is, maybe I'm wrong. Like, what do I know? I'm not the lawyer. But I feel like these types of things are just not talked about enough in our space. And in this, in this world, the yes, whole world, not just our space, but especially, though. right. Because we have, why? Because we have these, we're taught, I mean, we're taught whether you're a lawyer in this space or you're somebody else who is, is in the, you know, supporting the lawyer type situation or in a business that's supporting the lawyer, lawyer uh, world, you know, the teaching is get out there and show your badass self. What if you don't feel like a badass? What if right underneath that's not how you're feeling. You know, can you own it? So the, the question is, how do people re respond? And it's the opposite of what most people, when they first hear me uh, talk about this, it's the opposite because everybody feels like if they're, the vulnerability equals weakness until they start to, they take the courage. And usually for me, it, it required seeing other people. Like I didn't have the courage to do it myself first. So what I try to do in programs and things that I'm in, I try to model this. 
so that somebody looks at it and says, okay, that guy is, by the metrics that the world puts out there, that guy is a successful lawyer. And he's talking like this, and it resonates with me. Maybe I can show that too. And he's telling me, you know, if, if he can get up there and own that he's he still, after all these years and all these results, he's still a scared little boy, and he still struggles with that. I mean, I, I was telling somebody yesterday, I still worry whether I've just tricked everybody and the phone's going to stop ringing right after the first of the year. This will be my last year where everybody, anybody will ever want me to be their lawyer. Imposter syndrome. It's imposter syndrome, but I know now because of how long I've been at this game, I'm not alone in this. And like you said, it's everybody. The problem is we don't talk about it. Instead, we've been trained that if you go show that piece, people are going to reject you. And you and I both know it's not true. But it's still, even when we know it intellectually, you still have to have the actual physical experience. And magical things happen. I mean, without mentioning any names, yesterday we're at a program. There's a couple of hundred lawyers or more. I don't know how many are there. I had this kind of a situation with where, from speaking, was coming up to me yesterday. And as he's walking towards me, he starts crying. And that led to a, a conversation. But it led to a conversation never would have happened if I had not shown mine, if I had not shared my life experiences, my fears, my dirty parts. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but that's what they are. I mean, it's like the ugly parts, right? I mean, you give people permission. I, I feel like that's what that's you do. That's such a great way of saying it. I love that. And I think that that's right. So all of our jobs, everybody who's watching this or listening to this, my challenge to you is who can you model to today? Who, and you, you don't necessarily even know who that person needs to be. Like I was telling Avita, who works with me, who's actually in the room here, we're getting ready to go. We were on the, on the way over here and I, I was telling her, we were talking about what, what's gonna happen today later in a presentation. And I said to her, and she reminded me that I, that I had said it. She said, remember, Joe, what you always say, there's one person in the room who needs to hear what you have to say. And that's success. It's just there may just be one person who needs it. And that is, that should be our success. So my challenge to everybody who's listening to this is to recognize that you're a model, whether you want to be or not, for your kids, for your employees, for the people on the other side. You're a model for the judge. You're a model, and, and it doesn't matter if you're in the SEO world or in the legal world. You're a model, whether you want to or not. So how do you want to be? What kind of model do you want to be? What do you want to model? What kind of difference do you want to make? So that's the, that's the challenge. Okay. So now I really want to talk about this energy thing. I'm like a huge believer in energy. Like I think it we're, it's just, we're energy, right? But you've taken this concept of energy and you're actually applying, are you applying it in the courtroom already? Or are you uh, yeah. just playing with it? I'm applying it. Let's define what we're talking yes, about a little please. bit. Explain. Um, so I believe in energy like you do, and that can mean a lot of different things. There's so much focus in law and even in law marketing. You know, there's so much focus on the content, the the words, the way the words are said. How do you what do you dress like when you say the words? But it's all this it's content as opposed to emotionality. And yet we all know, and if you talk to people, most people will agree with you 
and they, they instinctively know that decisions are made very rarely on content. Decisions are made based on an emotional kind of a reaction. To, you have an emotional reaction to something, and then you backfill whatever logic you need to support the decision that you made. But decisions, I mean, science shows us decisions are made based on that emotionality. So here we are, we as lawyers, we go to law school and we're taught, you know, here's the prima facie case. I mean, here's the, here's exactly, here's the elements of the crime. Here's the elements of the tort. Here's what you have to do. It's so content driven. It's so verbal content driven, if you will, if that makes sense. And nobody talks about like, what's the emotionality involved in this, even though it's so important. So like, for instance, if you're going to talk to somebody about these facts, quote unquote, shouldn't you also be concerned about what state of mind are they in? What emotional state are they in when you get to that point? Like us, we're sitting here having a conversation. We're each in an emotional state. And most people bring no intentionality to that. And so I've studied for a long time different things, including neurolinguistic programming, including all the various persuasion sciences, if you will. I ran into some work done by a woman named Amy Cuddy. She proved something that a lot of people have been talking about for a long time, and that's that if you change your physiology, you will change your mood. And it's not, and she proved it with, with medical science. She proved that if I put you into a posture and breathing of what, like if you think of somebody who just won a race, right? Their hands are up. It's called victory pose. Their, their, their eyes are up. They're, they're, they're taking up space. They're breathing a certain way as opposed to just to juxtapose this. Think of somebody who looks depressed in your, in your mind's eye. They're down. They're small. Yeah. You know, so all of these things, so, so where it all comes into play is what I'm trying to do is look at ways that we can understand this emotionality and we can affect it. And, and what I've, where I am in the development of this right now for me is, is the big realization is when you see Amy Cuddy's work and you say, okay, I can affect my own mood, so to speak, my own state with posture and breathing – because of some other stuff that I've studied having to do with, with mirror neurons and things like that uh, and, and rapport work, what I've been working on is how to put these two things together so that if I walk into a courtroom or any room, is it possible for me by controlling my state to control your state? Or at least to, not control is the wrong word, affect your state. And what I'm learning is, and I'm super excited about it, is that the answer is yes. So I've been working on trying to figure out exercises and ways to predictably and repeatedly change the emotional states of other folks by focusing on my own states. And what are some emotional states that you want to impact, like during, say, a jury trial? One example is, let's say we're talking about a deposition Okay. okay. I think most people would agree instinctively that, you know, if I'm going to ask you questions about a certain topic, that I may get wildly different answers depending on what emotional state you're in when you're, when you're answering me. Right? So if that's true, why aren't lawyers taught? Why don't we think about what emotional state do I want them to be in when I get to that question? So that's, that's with a witness. But also think about a jury. Think about jury selection. 
right? Or think about as you stand in front of a jury, what state would you like, if you could, if you had the ability to reach into the body chemistry sets of each of the people on the jury and adjust their hormone levels and their their cortisol cortisol levels and their dopamine levels and all those kind of things, what would you dial them up to be? Because that's what we're talking about here. It's it's biochemistry. But I'm curious, what do you, what state do you want them in? And I'm sure it depends on the case, but can you give me an example of a emotion or state that you might want someone yeah. to be in. Yeah, and, and you're, you're right in your instinct. It's not something I want them in for a whole case, and it's not always the same. So at certain parts of the case, when I might want them to be in a state of empathy, right? Mm-hmm. In, in, an, in another part of the case, and I hate language for calling something the emotional states because you quickly run into the, the limits of language, Right. We don't have the right language for what I'm talking about right now. But there's other times when it's time for for that jury to act, to, you know, to get off their, you know, what's and, you know, find for my client in the biggest way possible. It's not really empathy. I want them in. I want them in some state that is wound up. That's something like anger or something like disgust. So I'm not putting them in a state and leaving them there. Um, I'm also no longer counting on just the natural flow of things and hoping that they get there because I know how to get them there now. And I'm pretty confident that that I can do it. And now it's just a question of continuing to work on this so that it can be done predictably and repeatedly. It's also really, really important for me to say this to you because I don't want people to, to think that this is some kind of a manipulation game. I mean, everything is manipulation to some degree. I don't want wow. this science to be turned into something that's not being used for the right purposes, if that makes sense. Because it's, it's powerful. It's so interesting. So you're telling me, and I know it's hard to, to do this, especially for the people that are only listening to the audio, but... How do you do this? Okay, well, well, let me let me give you a little bit of an example, right? So let's say, let's say, uh, let's say we're in a deposition. I'm going to depose you. I would be so scared. You would not. I you really would scare would. me. Um, <laughs> but if you think in your mind's eye what that looks like, you have the lawyer who comes in and and starts in on somebody, right? I mean, they they're 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 coming from this place of like. Um, it's a wreck case. So you were the driver of the truck, yes, and you, on such such a day, yes, and you were you were going this speed, and you were going this, and you were looking out the window, and you could see this, and you know, blah 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 blah, and it becomes this very sort of almost attack mode kind of a thing, and I'm going to kick your butt, and I'm coming in, and the truth is, my state at that point is I want to kick your butt, whatever you call that state, that's the state I'm in. So imagine how different it is. What if I started the deposition instead of going that way? What if I started the deposition by taking a moment to really feel and say, you know, for the last week I've been wondering how to talk to you about this thing. I mean, even even last night as I was laying in bed thinking about coming and talking to you, I was wondering... What's, what's he thinking about? What's she thinking about? How does she feel right now? What's this been like for her? What's she feeling as she's getting ready to um, be deposed by me? What's it like to be responsible for the death of other people? 
And I guess I just want to start by asking, how, how are you? How are you doing? I would start crying. Yeah. And I've seen big, burly truck drivers with tattoos all over themselves that say, F you, start to cry. No, I almost started crying. I didn't do anything. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you've, it's that guilty part we need to talk about on the next podcast. Round two. We're not doing that. We're, I'm, that's my podcast. I'm inviting her to. Not no, <laughs> she's she's so coming on that. Yeah, no, but so the, but the, but you but, but going back to this, you see the difference. It's I all, feel the difference. I don't just see it. I actually feel the difference. That's the point. Yes. So now, if if you're in that state, if you're in that state as the deponent, and now I'm going to start asking you about the facts of the case. Do you think I may get different answers? Yes, way no more question, answers. Right? Absolutely. It's going to be your no we, defense, we less have, defensiveness. Right. Yeah. And so what happens is we form a relationship around around this. I can also turn right around and I can change that emotion that we just had intentionally. I can change it to something else. Right. Just by the way, and, and how do I do it? I don't have control over your state. What I have control over is my state. If I now were to change and I start raising my voice and I start getting more firm in my in my um, my questioning of you, even after we've started in this other way, what's going to happen? The state's going to change. And the question is going to be how. And what I'm suggesting to you is I don't know any other lawyers who are bringing this level of intentionality to this aspect of trial work. And really it's human work. You know, like this is not just in trial. This is, I mean, I would say to you, I'd love to see you working on this for the work that you do in marketing. I think this is huge for marketing. I, I mean, think sometimes I do it intuitively. Of course you do. And this, for anyone listening, that's kind of like, hmm, I wonder, it, this should just makes sense. We've all been in that situation where we're in a room somewhere with a person and somebody walks in and they're really pissed off and they're just in the worst mood possible. And right away, the energy in the room shifts. Sure. And another example is how many times have you responded to a text message where somebody else's intention was not what you ascribed to that? In other words, you responded from anger and pissed off and whatever, when all they did is say, what kind of coffee do you want? You know, and, and you realize later, you go, oh, I, I thought you were saying like, what kind of coffee do you want? You know, right. I mean, you, know you, you ascribe the intention, you, you ascribe their state based on your state. So these are all examples of how this comes into play. And so we all know about this. The question is, can we harness it? Can we harness it and bring intentionality? Yeah. Like with kids, like I noticed that, it, and parents are going to relate. If I'm like in a good place, like the kids behave better. But if I'm stressed or I'm like snappy, they behave worse because they're feeding off of my energy. So this is something we do every day all the time. You're just saying be intentional. That's right. And one thing to think about is that's true, what you just said, especially if your energy is at what I'll call a higher amplitude. You being in a bad place is that, which normally bad places have higher amplitude than good places. I mean, I hate that's to say so it, but it's fire. Yeah, if I could change it, the world, I would, but I can't. That's just a reality. So we know that. And we know that the tendency is to stay in whatever mood you're in until something changes it. There's, there's scientific names for that, but that's what they come down to. 
So what would be interesting is there have also been times, my bet, for you as a mom, where you've been in a crap mood and you walk into your into a room and your kid is in such an awesome place that you can't stay in the bad mood anymore, right? Yeah. So what if you now apply that to the rest of the world? Come into a courtroom and why don't you, because your amplitude of your mood, and I keep using the word mood, I should really use the word state, but because of that, you've intentionally put yourself in a place and you've intentionally been able to ramp it up, the amplitude up, to no matter what anybody else's state is, they will start to gravitate towards your state. They can't stay there. And we, I know this to be true. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a social scientist. But honestly, this is where what I, these are the things that are exciting me right now about the practice of law is that the practice of law is giving me an opportunity in each case, in each deposition, in each interaction, in each mediation, in each sit down with a client to practice what we're talking about. You know, to sit with the opposing counsel and choose how you're going to be. And, 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 you know, wow, like what if you can get up in the morning and, you know, my coach says this is possible. I'm not there yet. But what if you can get up in the morning and he says to me, I'm going to ask you how you're doing. Every coaching session, I'm going to ask you how you're doing. And I need you to respond, I allowed or I created X for my day. I allowed, and he said, put a number on it, one to 10, how good it was. And so are you just allowing your mood, your, your state, or are you creating your state? Because you can get up in the worst freaking mood in the world, and I know this to be true. You can change it. And you know how long it takes, what the science says? It takes 90 seconds to two minutes. And it's not BS. It's not fake it till you make it. It's your actual body, your, your actual biochemistry, your chemistry set that is you, your horm- hormones, your, your cortisol levels, your dopamine levels, your testosterone levels. Do you know if somebody stands in a pose, like the victory pose with your hands over your head, like that, for literally two minutes, you know, there's a two, men or women, the spike in testosterone level in your body is 20%. The reduction in your cortisol level, 22%. This is repeated in test after test after test. So there's a lot to this. And the question is, and you can, hopefully you can sense I'm excited about it. I feel like I'm just at the tip of the iceberg on trying to understand this. And like, I, I want to understand it so bad. I want to, I want to speed it up and get to the good stuff. And I don't, you know, this is something that I think it's cutting edge. If somebody out there listening to this says they've got some resources for me, I'd sure love to hear them to advance the ball on this and to join me in, in looking at these subjects, because I think they matter. And I think they matter way beyond law. Like, don't you want to be the best mom always, right? Do you want to show up with intentionality always? And are you willing to accept the possibility? Are you open to the idea that you can flip that switch anytime you want? So how do you flip it? Is it just like you just feel the feeling and like kind of just ramp it up and feel it, feel it, feel yeah. it? So I'm, I'm, I'm working on different ways to uh, on that. But, but y- yes, I mean, what it basically is, is you already have a memory bank of just about every emotion once you've lived a certain amount of time, right? You've had circumstances that you've attributed to causing you to feel certain ways. On the bad side, those low energy things, depression, uh, anxiety. I have a lot of anxiety. And there's others that we could talk about. 
but you know, on the, on the positive sides, joy, you know, joy and and these other things, even a state of playfulness, right? So, so what I would do with you if I wanted to change your state is I would first of all I would it, it would first be me. I would be working if I were trying to do it without you knowing I was doing it. The only person I can affect is me, so I need to work on choosing the state I want you to be in. I need to take that state. And then I need to ramp up the amplitude as high as I can. And as soon as I cross the threshold of whatever level you're at, you're going to start to move toward me. I'm That's gonna my belief. I'm going to do that to you once. I'm going to you, not I tell think you, you. Yes, yes. And I'm not going to tell you. Well, I've been doing it to you the whole time we're here. And then we can't you tell you're smiling so big. I mean, if people could have seen you beforehand, she was in such a bad mood before we started this. And now look at her. She's in a great mood. I'm just teasing. But the reality is, I mean, like, we, how do you show up? How do you want to show up? Who is bringing that level of intentionality into their world? You're getting ready to go into a meeting and you have got all your notes. You've got all your content because that's how we've been trained, right? I know what I'm going to say. I know I'm there. But then who takes the moment to say, wait a minute, what emotional state do I want them to be in? Can you do this over the phone? Yes. I I believe you can do this. I know this is going to sound really, really wacky. I think you can do this just purely telepathically. Well, isn't it crazy when like you think about someone and they call you? It's crazy. Like, why, why do things like that happen? Because right? energy. We'll, we'll never fully understand it, but yet it does happen, right? Yes. A so, lot of weird things happen. Yep. I so, guess they're called what? Synchron- synchronicities? If you say so. That's a good word. I like it. We don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. It's like I tell people all the time when, I, when I've talked to them about this, they go, you know, I'm just not really sure I believe blah, blah, blah. I go, you know what? Whether you believe it or not doesn't change whether it works or not. Right. I mean, I'm here to tell you. I mean, I've had these experiences where I've walked in and I'm doing it, you know, I'm, I'm working on this all the time now. And, you know, but it's even how do you show up? How do you show up for your kids? How do you show up I and mean, take it out of the professional side and just think, I mean, like I bet some of your listeners will, will be able to relate to this. You've had a great day. Okay. Awesome day. You're, you come home. You walk in, your spouse, I'll make this spouse agnostic. You walk in, your spouse looks at you a certain way, just looks at you a certain way. Or maybe there's a tone of voice, just a little tone of voice. I'm going to kill him. All your whole great day just flew out the freaking window. And if you're the guy in the relationship, you know, at least in my world, I'm the guy who ends up being the asshole. I mean, in no time flat, I went from having a great day. I couldn't wait to share my great day. And somehow I'm the asshole in record time. And I'm afterwards, I'm going, how the hell did that happen? How, how am I here? But then if you're, if you're intuitive or if you're willing to do it and you take a step back and say, this is actually a pretty familiar pattern. This is not the first time this has happened. We all have patterns in our life. So the, the, where I'm going with this is, what if you could, I mean, there is the, you know, the next phase of this or another phase of this is to work on not allowing yourself to become hijacked by somebody else's stuff. I do. Okay. This is like, we could have a whole episode on this. It's something I'm working on right now because my husband can impact me in one second. And I'm like, this is so unfair. Like one second, my mood is ruined. Right. And I'm like, I don't even, I just don't want anyone to have that power over me. Yeah. So why do you why do you think that's there? I don't know. But it's it's not new, right? No, I think it, it comes from childhood. Like my parents did that to me all the time. It's a pattern. 
So for me, and it's something I'm working on, I literally will like try to like, like clear my energy. I'm like, nope, not, not going there, not engaging, not entering like boundaries, happy thoughts, like happy feelings, like, nope. Yeah. But one, one thing that I think it's important to recognize is once you get hijacked, I call it a hijack because there's this terminology um, where they say the amygdala hijack. I mean, there's a part of your, and so this is what it's, what's happening in that situation is it's another form of, I mean, medically or biomedically, what's, what's happening biochemically, I should say, is the same thing that happens in the fight or flight kind of a thing. No, right? it's a perfect, yeah. that it, you so that's what it hijacked. is. It is. So, but, but here's the thing. Once you get hijacked, so your body now reacts to that. Your hormone levels change, your chemistry changes like this. Yes. And then it's just like you just took a hit of something. I'm not kidding. No, I know. So what ha- why does it take time to chill after that, to get back down to a baseline? Because your body literally has to digest out these chemicals to get back to your baseline level. It takes time just like if you, if you drank or took a drug. And just like if you drank or took a drug, it becomes, once you've drank or taken the drug, it becomes hard to just sober up like that, right? So it really is a, it, it, so that the, the only way in my view that you can really work on this, so quote unquote, is to, is to start to become conscious of where the triggers are and what the triggers are. And then you can, you can defuse the trigger, so like, what if in the moment just before, what if you had the level of consciousness where you could see the trigger coming right at you and you say, stop, I now make a choice. I can let that trigger do what it does so many times and when it's done so many times, or, and I know where it's going to end up. I know exactly how I'm going to feel at the end of that. Or I could choose a different path. What if you could choose and there might be times where you say, screw it, man, I'm choosing the damn path that I, you know, but, but at least then it's intentional. Screw it. I want to feel like that. I mean, I, I don't give a damn, you know, but at least then you know what you're doing. And the problem for a lot of us is we get to the end of that and we look back and it's like we woke up in a stupor and say, oh my God, man, I can't believe I just let that happen again. And that's true in our personal lives. And it's true in interactions that we have. I mean, think of from a lawyer perspective, I th- a good example is there's that other lawyer on the other side who you know who they are. They just rub you the wrong way and, and, and you always end up losing your cool in that, you know, when you're interacting with that lawyer. What if you had the power, and I know you do, what if you could say, I'm going to create a state for myself, I'm going to stay in that state, and no matter what that person does, they can't break the state. And you know what else? Their state's going to change because it can't not happen. This is like, the laws of gravity. And it kind of is like gravity. If I turn my emotions up, if I turn my state up enough to where it's higher than the other states, more energy, if you will, than what my experience is and what I think there's some science to support is you can't help it. Your body is going to start to change. Your state is going to start to change. But I've got to be higher than you. I've got to be at a higher level than you. And you may be at a pretty damn high level. All I can think about is how I can use this. Yes, like my my mind see. is spinning. I'm like, it's like if I want someone to be generous, right? Like, okay, I want, I'm thinking of like a reservation. Can't get a reservation somewhere. And I go in with that amped up energy. Well, I think you, yes, is the, the answer. Now, it may not 
create the, the the reservation, but I think you would dramatically improve. So how do you do it now, right? Like what is the process now? But a lot of people would come in with sort of the, do you know who I am mentality or, well, no, I'm you know, no one. I mirror you. a lot. Like I try to mirror. That's like what I've learned that from Chris you, Voss uh, and it works well. Yeah. No, yeah. And look, I'm a student of Chris Voss and I'm trying to be even a more direct one. I love his stuff about like, I love some of the stuff. The one I love the most is the idea of getting people to say no. Oh, yes. Yes. Because, I mean, you even think, you know, we're both parents, right? You think about, you think about how many times your kid asks you for something and you first reaction, no. And then within like five minutes, you've now said yes. You know, after you've said no, you've said yes. Right. So it's this, I, I love being a student of the human experience, you know, like how do humans work? And that's, that was one that turned around the idea for me because the training before that for me was always get into, you know, a series of yes, 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 yes. But it really has to do with control. Yeah, we want to say no. If you say no, you feel control. Yeah. And once you feel control, you can let go of the need to feel control. So it's a cool, it's a very cool thing. And I think there's a lot I can learn from him. And I think one of the areas that's really, really missing from the lawyer education world is really, really advanced level negotiation techniques and understanding. And yet here we are, we're, we're negotiating and sometimes in cases that are seven, eight, nine figure cases. And my bet is if you asked, if we go into a room with a thousand lawyers and say, somebody raise your hand, if you've had formal negotiation training, real training, not from a mentor, not you've got your own shtick, you do, but really formal training, I would bet you will get zero hands raised. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. But I, I think it's true. You have to tell me if you become friends with Chris Voss. I, like, well, I would love to have that opportunity, but I can't make the promise right now. If I do, I'll tell you. You know, part of it is also even the state of wanting that, right? It might be easier to change the state of wanting it than getting it. I don't know if that makes any sense. The law of attraction kind of stuff. We see it in the legal world all the time, and I know you see it in the marketing world all the time. You know, people come in and they go, I need more. I need more. I need more. I need more. I want more money. I want more clients. I want more cases. I want more whatever. Well, I just want more, right? Well, what you're really saying to the world is I do not have enough. And the reality is if you could flip that in whatever way you need to for yourself, and there's different ways to do it, to where you're putting out in the world, I have enough clients. I'm doing great. And um, I have just the right number of clients. I have just the right amount of money. I have enough of all of this stuff. Then what does the world give you? More of not needing any more clients, which what does that mean? You're going to have more clients if, if that's what you need. What if you don't believe I have enough? First of all, I'm not sure you have to believe it. I think you have to, you have to say it. And, and I know that sounds a little bit a little bit weird, but you have to be grateful. I yes, think coming I agree from with the gratefulness. So, I, so we have to find what you do believe. So, like, you may say, "I don't have enough." I can't say I have enough money, okay? But can you say, "I'm so grateful for the blessings of the money that I have"? I'm yes. so grateful. And so, what's that mean? That's going to mean if what we're saying is accurate, that should give you more reasons to be grateful for the money that you have. 
Totally. So when I say manifesting, for me, it's a combination of being grateful to where I am. And instead of, and you're right, instead of being in a place where I want something, I'm in a place where I know I'm going to get it no matter what I have to do. And I'm going to act on it. Like, I don't care what it takes. Like, that's what's going to happen. Sure. And just knowing that it's going to happen, but that there's going to, I mean, it might take a while or I might have to go through things, but I'm totally willing and I know I'm going to like do sure. it. Sure. And, and what I, what I would add to it, um, and only because of this coaching thing that I'm starting and I'm so, I mean, literally I had, my, I had my two hours, my two hour session literally last night. So I'm spinning around it in my mind is I would add to that to check in with yourself on what is behind the want. Okay. Like what, is what behind like, the want? like what, why, why do you want it? Right. Because under, starting to understand what's driving that. If you're going to live the intentional you life and you want to understand yourself, I mean, I don't only want to understand how other people work. I want to understand how this human works, you know, me and what's my mind. What are the games? What are, what's going on with all this stuff for me? And so I would, if I had the perfect ability, which I don't in those moments where I'm saying, I find myself in longing, right? I'm longing for dot, 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 whatever you put in the, in the, in the, you know, the line there, it's a worthy exercise to take a step back and say, what's making me want that? Because a lot of times I think we, we tell ourselves a story about something or we, oh, we, we're always we, telling ourselves yeah, a story or, or we're creating barriers to feeling success. Like we make deals with ourselves, right? Like yeah. I, until I get to X and it's never enough, like it's right. flawed. Right. But I, I agree. I think the only way to deal with that, by the way, I mean, it's a whole nother podcast episode, but is to live a life where you're, you're living less of your life is about you and more of your life is about service to other people. You know, and I, I truly believe that. I think that no matter how much money or quote success you end up having, you will have what I call a significance hole in your life if you're not pouring into other people. And the more you pour into other people, what I'm finding for myself is the more some of these other things stop mattering. It might seem like everyone around you is confident, has their shit together, absolutely owning life. But the truth is at some point, everyone, even me, even Joe, feels some bit of imposter syndrome, like they can't measure up. But when big, well-respected people like Joe have the courage to shine a light on what's really going on, it gives everyone else permission to confront their problems. Like Joe said, when you let vulnerability guide the conversation, you make authentic connections. This is true in your personal life, in your professional life, even with a jury. By being honest about your own emotions, you can become aware and change your own state to influence others. Thank you so much to Joe Freed at Freed Goldberg for everything he shared today. If you found this story valuable, please share it with someone you want to see succeed. Subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review. It goes a long way to help others discover the show. Catch us next week on Tip the Scales with me, Maria Monroy, president of Loring. Hear how the best in the business broke out of limiting beliefs, overcame adversity, and built a thriving, purpose-driven business in the process.